So I've been with you all for about three months now, and in that time, I've learned uh, some things about all of you. And one thing I've learned is that you all love to party. <laughs> Not in excess, but you love to celebrate together. The first time I visited your congregation, you threw a big party for us. My first Sunday um, after moving here, you threw a big party for us. And then when I was first instituted as your rector um, a couple weeks ago, you threw a big party for us. You love to party. Parties, this might surprise you, parties are an essential part of our Christian faith. Parties um, are what Richard Foster calls the discipline of celebration. My favorite spiritual discipline. At our first uh, new members class a couple weeks ago, Rachel asked a really great question. She said, what do Anglicans believe about eschatology? I'll translate that for you. Uh, what she was asking was, what do Anglicans believe about the end of time? About the end times? What are, what are the Anglican beliefs around that? And what Anglicans believe about the end times is what the early Christians who wrote Revelation and Ephesians believed. We believe that history is heading towards a great big party. All our readings this morning are all about that celebration, that, that big party. Revelation gives us this beautiful image of people from every culture and nation partying together before the throne of God. And then in our reading from Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Now, a more technical translation of the original Greek might be like this. Party time! <laughs> right? Jesus is announcing a great big party. And so on this All Saints Sunday, um, I think it's appropriate for us to look at what God says about parties. Specifically, what rules the Bible gives for how to party. So, rule number one, a party has people. You can't have a party without people. Megan and I uh, have been privileged to meet with about 30 households so far um, in the congregation as we're trying to meet with all of you. And I've so enjoyed um, learning and hearing people's kind of personal stories of how they first started to follow Jesus. But I've also really enjoyed hearing your stories about how you first got connected here at Servants. How you made this your church home. Now for some of you, you know, that started way back 16 years ago when Servants of Christ was first planted. Um, yet you made this your, that's when you first started um, coming to Servants was when it, at the very beginning when it started. But for some of you, maybe you heard about this new Anglican church plant on 8th Avenue. And were like curious and maybe somebody invited you and you came. But actually... When you were invited to this new church plant 16 years ago, or whenever it was, this new congregation at Servants wasn't anything new at all. It was just a new expression of the most ancient family in the world. It's the family that we heard about in our reading from Revelation. A great multitude 
that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Isn't that image astonishing? Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine what that must look like? What that must sound like to see, to hear? Imagine what it will be like to see all of humanity worshiping together, each with their own unique culture and language. Israelis and Palestinians worshiping at the throne of God. Ukrainians and Russians worshiping around the throne of God. All peoples gathered together around the throne of God. I long to see that. That, that image has, has always captured my heart. I, I long to see more of that here in our church. And this is what, what Paul is talking about when he prays in Ephesians 1.18, that we would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Did you catch that last part? Paul is saying that the riches of God's glorious inheritance are people. They're in the saints. God's inheritance is in the saints. People are God's rich and glorious inheritance. And it is in the church among God's saints where we receive this rich inheritance. We have to enter God's family if we want to experience a full life. There's a movie that came out a while back called Lion. Did anybody see this movie, Lion? Did you see this? Okay, it was a little-known kind of independent film, but um, it tells the true story of Saru Brierly. Now, Saru grew up in a small village in far western India. And, um, and as a five-year-old boy, Saru and his older brother would scrounge for loose change on the trains at night to help support their family. So they'd go to the trains and search on the trains and find any loose change to bring back to their family. Well, one night... Um, five-year-old Saru fell asleep on a train and it left in the next morning and it was separated from his brother. And that empty train sped all the way across India to the far eastern part of India, to Calcutta. So at the age of five, Saru was in a huge city where no one spoke his language and he had no family. He couldn't even tell people the name of his village because they couldn't understand his language. After evading human traffickers and many other horrors of life on the streets in India as a small child, Saru eventually, through many twists and turns, I won't ruin the movie for you, um, but he's eventually adopted by a loving Australian couple. What I want to say to you this morning is that we are all Saru. The world the flesh, and the devil have separated us from the loving family we have in the family of God. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you feel completely lost. You don't understand what is happening in your life. It, it seems like everything is going wrong. Or maybe you just feel totally alone. Like no one notices you or cares, just like Saru felt as a five-year-old on the streets of Calcutta. Today, I want you to know that you are not alone. God planted this church, Servants of Christ, for you. He sent a community of people right here to be your family. Look around you. Seriously, look around you. <laughs> you never listen to the preacher when he's preaching. <laughs> Seriously, look around you. These are your brothers 
and sisters, mothers and fathers. Or, you know, if you're, you aren't a Christian yet, then your potential brothers and sisters. Maybe that encourages you to become a Christian or maybe it discourages you. I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is that the church is not some super spiritual idea. It's people. In the church, we find a loving and adopted home. Christian community is your loving and adoptive family, which can enable you to discover your true calling and purpose. When you become a Christian, you gain brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers on every continent on earth. You become closely related to people of every culture and nation on earth. Wherever you go in your life, you will be surrounded by family. When I graduated from college, I went on a trip to Greece. And so, like I do every Sunday, I was bound and determined to go to church. And so I went to like a real Greek Orthodox church, not like the kind we have here. And um, I, I knew ancient Greek, but I didn't know modern Greek. And so I, and I was not really familiar with Greek culture. And so I, I sat through this whole service basically completely lost. I couldn't understand the language. I couldn't understand why they were doing what they were doing or when they were doing what they were doing. And, and so I was totally lost. But, but after the service, they had like a little central courtyard. And so I went out into the courtyard and um, this kindly old man brought me a cup of coffee which may have been the worst cup of coffee I've ever had in my life. Um, if you've never had Greek coffee, it's mud. But anyway, so he, he brings me the coffee, and I was very grateful that, that this kind man had done this. But this Greek guy spoke zero English. I mean, like, zero English. And so we're sitting there. I'm trying to gulp down the coffee, and, and, um, and I tried talking to him. He tried talking to me. We could not communicate um, until finally he, he just pauses, and we're just sitting for a few moments in silence. And then he just points at his chest and he says, Christian. And so I pointed at my chest and I said, Christian. And then he just grabbed me in this big bear hug and embraced me. He saw me as family. Wherever I have gone, I have found family in the church. And that's my hope for you. But saints aren't just limited to those who are still alive. There are, there are many saints that have gone before us. Servants would not exist if it weren't for the saints who have gone before us. Ralph Coriel, Jane Greasley, Dick and Eva Reisinger, Jean Jennings. I never met these people in this life. But I would not be here today. You would not be here today if it weren't for their faithfulness in the church. The church exists today because of all the saints who have lived over the past 2,000 years. Not only are we indebted to them, we are connected to them. They are the ones who are worshiping God in heaven at the same exact moment that we worship God here. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Our family in the faith is, is worshiping with us today. All Saints reminds us that it is only among the people of God that we can discover our true purpose. So that's rule number two. A party has a purpose. A party has a purpose. You know, sometimes people come up with the most ridiculous reasons for parties. I once was invited to my friend's half-birthday party. It was halfway between their two birthdays. And, but, but that's because we make those up because we know that parties have to have some kind of reason. They have to have a purpose. God's party has a real purpose, far deeper than the ones we make up. 
to celebrate that evil and sin and suffering have been eliminated. To celebrate that God has finally and totally won. Because behind all of the great news that we hear in our Bible readings, there's some very hard realities. Look again at the crowd in Revelation that's partying around the throne of God. Verse 14. This is Revelation 7 verse 14. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Continuing to 16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In other words, those who worship and rejoice were those who came out of the great tribulation. Tribulation is a, a fancy theological word that means getting the snot kicked out of you. It's a technical translation there. But, but these people, they've suffered immensely. They've gone hungry and thirsty. They've been persecuted. There are reasons why God has to wipe away every tear from their eyes. By the world's standards, they are a bunch of losers. Have you ever found it strange that we throw parties for the winners? You ever thought that? You know, like on election night, right? Both parties are like ready for their big celebration, but only the winner of the election actually throws the party, right? Or, you know, like uh, last week when, when um, the Rangers beat the Diamondbacks in game five of the World Series. You know, the Rangers were the ones that celebrated. But the winner is the last person who needs a party, Right? It's the loser who needs to be cheered up. The Gators needed a party last night, right? Amen? <laughs> God throws parties for losers. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus blesses and celebrates losers. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is essentially saying whose side he's on. He's saying that if you are poor in spirit, if life has drug you down, I'm on your side. He doesn't stay neutral. If you are here today and life has humbled you, life has brought you down low, then God is on your side. All the losers in this life who put their trust in Jesus turn out to be the winners. God has a clear and straight purpose that goes directly through all the pain and suffering and hardship of our lives and delivers us washed, made new and whole, all the pain and suffering wiped away, and we are placed around the throne in worship. That is the promise of Scripture, brothers and sisters. The purpose of God's party is to celebrate not that we have won, but that God has won what we could never win for ourselves. The purpose of God's party is to celebrate that what was once broken down has been made new. You know, in some ways you might say that we are surrounded right now by an incredible sign of God's transforming purposes and power. When we purchased our building five years ago, I'm told that you could put your hand through the roof. That when there was a bad rainstorm, you could see water running down the walls in some of the rooms. We didn't have these beautiful pews that we have now. Now this space is being restored as a beautiful place of worship. 
And that's exactly what God does in our lives. He takes the broken down and messed up places in our lives. He takes all of our sin and suffering and he makes it beautiful. All this transformation, all this purpose derived out of the raw material of pain and suffering. And that all has one source. That brings me to rule number three. A party has a person. Now, you may, those who are actually listening, notice I said a party has people, and now I'm saying a party has a person. What I mean by that is, you know, usually there is a person or persons who are at the center of the action at a party. You know, a birthday guy or girl, the, the recent graduate, the, the person for whom the party has been planned. Well, listen again to the first words of Scripture that we heard this morning. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is at the center of God's party. It is his blood that has washed the robes and made them white as snow. The mystery of the gospel is the cross. Our readings this morning point us to the one and only answer for the suffering of this world. It is the only answer that you will ever hear on my lips. And it is the only answer servants will ever proclaim in Gainesville. That answer is Jesus Christ. He answered our suffering by suffering on the cross. He answered our persecution by being persecuted. He answered our dying by dying on the cross. He answered our sin by washing us and making us clean with new robes. Jesus paid it all with his life to bring us home and into this family. But that's not all. God doesn't just erase all the sins we have committed. He doesn't just erase the pain and suffering we have endured in this life. He does do those things. Those are super important. But he also does something more. He gives us his life and power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it is working in us, in those of us who have put their faith in Jesus. Paul prays that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly places. In other words, we are given Jesus's power to live a different kind of life. My guess, and what I heard in the many stories that I heard from the 30 household we've met with, but my guess is that many of you are here today because someone at some point invited you. What I want to say to you today is don't miss God's invitation to an even greater party. God is calling you. God is inviting you to his party. With Christians all around the world and throughout all time, we profess our faith in the name of Jesus. There is no other name we can call on for salvation. There is no other person who has the power to transform our lives. I invite you to, to make the faith your own. You know, in, in just a moment, we're going to have a, a great feast right here at the altar. Come and receive from the Lamb of God. Receive his body and blood, which was sacrificed for you. Everything has been provided for you, and you are invited. Today, I, I want to invite you to join our family. I'm not talking primarily about 
our family at Servants. Although we'd love to have you. You can come to the new members class afterwards. I'm talking about joining the family of all the saints. If you've never said yes to following Jesus, if you've, you've never accepted this invitation from God, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't wait. God is calling you home and into a family today. Don't miss the party. And for those of you who already accepted that invitation, come again to the altar. Feast and rejoice. I pray that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Let us join together. I want to lead you in a prayer. And maybe you've prayed this prayer a long time ago. Maybe, maybe you've prayed it. Uh, you've never prayed it at all. But I'm going to lead you through a, 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 just a short prayer. And it's just three simple phrases that you learned in kindergarten. Thank you. I'm sorry. Please. It's a great way to learn how to pray. Thank you, I'm sorry, and please. So would you pray with me? And, and if today you're saying, you know what, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow after you. I want to be part of this family of all the saints. I want to be in your home. I want to accept that invitation. I invite you to pray with me, but everyone, let's, let's join in um, and pray silently as I pray aloud. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ for dying for us on the cross and rising from the dead so that we can have life. I'm sorry for the things in my life that have been wrong. I now turn away from everything that I know is wrong and I receive your free gift of forgiveness and love. Please, please come, Jesus, and reveal yourself to me. Amen. Amen.